All right, so this is the official episode one of Not About Planes, Ian Pearson's new podcast where I interview and talk to people that I think are interesting in and around Chicago. Today we're sitting down with Cece. Hello. Or his other moniker, CCDM. How's it going, Cece? It's going well tonight. Yeah? Love this radio format going on. Thanks. Yeah, this is fun. Indeed. So, you invited me over to talk. Yeah. Just a little bit closer? Yeah. And then we can edit stuff, too, so it's all yep. good. Is okay. that close enough? Perfect. Okay. Cool. So, yeah. Um, Let's see. So, what do you do, Cece, when you're, when you're not sitting in my kitchen? Uh, well, other than working part-time at a vaporizer store, I create music uh, through, like, electronic means. I don't like to say... I necessarily, uh, I don't like to say that I write hardcore anymore, but uh, people might know m me from writing Amiga music, uh, an old generation computer from the 90s. Uh, I tend to write more on the experimental range, uh, and I got to get rid of these uhs. <laughs> oh no, uh away. But yeah. It's a loose format. Yeah, so I come from a background of classical jazz and like all sorts of other training in my youth, playing in a metal band in my youth, and then going on to uh, find that I liked writing music on my own more than writing with other people. Uh, maybe it's just the difference of opinions or just having different levels of talent in the group, whether they be above me or below me or uh, whatever that might entail. And so nowadays I am writing music using modular synthesis. Uh, lots of like sampled stuff. Lately I've been using a four track recorder and uh, an instrument called the Octatrack, basically an eight track sampler. Neat. So uh, y you think it's easier then to write by yourself than with other people? Uh, depends on how, uh, I guess yes would be the easy way to say that, but uh, having a high prejudice for the music that I'm writing and what I want as an output uh, tends to make it a little more difficult in those regards. But to get the sound that I want, I've been able to get more equipment and more things dealing with how to create the music easily. What, how do you feel about the new computers and stuff? Like, what programs do you use to write your music, and how well, does all that work? Well, I only tend to record my music nowadays. Uh, most of my stuff, at least in the past about year and a half or two, has been all created uh, using hardware. I know there's a lot of, uh, like, prejudice uh, towards using a DAW because you have everything at your access, but that's... A good thing and a bad thing like uh, about seven years ago I uh, yeah about seven years ago I started using the Amiga computers which I was talking about because I was getting frustrated because I had too many options in my software and it would lead to like an hour and a half of sound design to make one tiny little thing and then I'd be stuck like, well, now I'm stuck in a tiny little loop and I tend to not like using loops in my music. So 
let's just work on this another day. Forget about the project along with the hundreds of other projects that I forgot about. And essentially, I started using the Amiga computer because it's a very limited format. It has, uh, at least the initial one I was using, had four tracks of audio, and uh, you could it didn't have any inbound effects. You could do things through the software, uh, Octomed, and at that time I was using Octomed version 4. Octomed uh, would only take samples or sounds synthesized from the computer chips itself. It also ran off of about 500 kilobytes of memory, which I expanded up out to be one megabyte. And essentially, as I did that, um, I started focusing more on the construction of the music and less about the sound design. And it's also kind of a brutalist environment because you're stuck with 8-bit audio and you only have these four channels and as a person that could go like a thousand channels in Ableton or like as many tracks as I wanted in Renoise, another tracker software I used to use extensively, um, I found that I had to focus more on like what I could achieve in that limited amount of space. And if you go to my YouTube, um, there's a music video, quote unquote music video. It's just of the tracker uh, playing in the background of my song, uh, Wilted Gray Photos. And you can actually see some of these space saving techniques. Uh, the Basically every t uh, time I wanted to do a drum roll or I wanted to do anything more than like at 16th or Actually, I think it brought it down to quarter note lengths. I had to change the speed of the processor. Not the processor, the block. The block is kind of like your writing space in a tracker. Uh, and what I would do is make it jump along those things because a lot of the music I not only listen to, but tend to write is along what people would call IDM, break horror, or uh, drill and bass is like an old school, like late 90s, early 2000s term for it. What's the difference between IDM and EDM? IDM uh, came out in like the early 90s. Uh, some of the forefronts would be people like Autecker, uh, Square Pusher, Aphex Twin, and they tend to be... Uh, brain dance music less and on a more primal uh sorry brain dance music on a less primal level so you had to kind of think about what was going on in the music rather than trying to uh just feel the beat or feel the bass or whatever you want to call it like there's nothing wrong with that sort of music it's just uh when i started to discover electronica electronica that shows how old i am uh <laughs> what do you call it it was like during the trance era and i didn't know about uh like these different sorts of art forms where hmm, how do i put this artists artists would care more about like the mental feeling of the music rather than the physical I guess that kind of goes back to what I was saying just a little bit ago, but I don't know. It's very uh, 
clicky at times and by that i mean the aural texture not like it's a part of a click uh like small group what do you mean by clicky clicky like uh like some of the stuff that comes from microsound um like you might hear have heard of microsound from people like bjork where she did a lot of um oh what's the name of that music lowercase music lowercase is taking sounds that aren't typically heard by the human ear um because they're so damn quiet basically like you'll go up and you'll sample your floorboards um that aren't being like touched or creaked or whatever and then pull that sound all the way up to the top then create beats and stuff out of it and like people would use the sound of plants or things like that and like pull these little tiny oscillations out of it and like cut it down to little tiny little ticks and whirs what do plants sound like uh typically just it depends on what you're using to pick it up like i've seen one second <laughs> my leg was shaking because it was losing circulation <laughs> by all means circulate your legs but um yeah uh so what plants sound like basically it depends on how you're trying to pick it up because i remember seeing a art display once where it was like this is what wood sounds like and it was literally like someone holding on to uh, using a record needle to create uh, control voltage to or not even control voltage it was just every time it would hit a wood grain it would uh, bounce and cause a random note to be generated um, but this is more like weird like static and little crackles and like small oscillations and that's more the micro sound that I'm talking about cool So how do you, do you use that to build tension then? And you can use it for whatever. I think that's kind of the beauty of like experimental music is that I'm not worried so much about, at least personally, I'm not worried about creating a certain feeling or anything other than what I'm feeling that day. Uh, I One of actually our mutual friends uh, we were trying to work on like a small film together. Uh, it still might come to fruition. It might not. But uh, he was having trouble getting in my head because it's very hard for me to like vocalize those sort of things. Like to put it bluntly, tension is a very normal way to look at things. Like we can talk about like how all sorts of like sounds can be used to create tension uh though that is it's weird you bring up that direct word because that's exactly what i try and embody in a lot of my work you ever listen to uh i think his i think his name is akira yamayoto he's the composer for all the silent hill music yeah i definitely have listened to that and it's funny you mentioned silent hill because i listened to his or i didn't listen to his i watched the movie last night and, which one uh the original like because that's the only one worth watching Eh, the second one's okay, but it's it, okay compared to <laughs> video game movies have a real hard time really hitting home, especially if it's a good video game. Right. And it's funny because there's a few, um, few cuts in that movie where I'm just like, Oh God, that straight up looks like a video game cutscene, Like, and you know, it would be something that happens to create, uh, 
like a loss of an item or a larger event happening like um not sharon what's the main lady's name rose oh rose that's what it is yeah sharon's a little girl um rose jumps over something and you get this big huge panning shot of her flashlight or not even panning it's just a looking straight down into an alley as she drops her uh knife that she was carrying it's like oh well i don't need this in the video game anymore obviously (laughs) (laughs) do you remember did you play the first silent hill i haven't yet uh i need to oh i recommend it i have a rom of it sitting at home and i've just never sat down to make time (laughs) you get it's interesting because you get a knife in the game or no, it might be the second one. But in, I believe it's the second one, actually. You get a knife in the game mm-hmm. that you can do absolutely nothing with. And there are all kinds of crazy fan theories like, oh, if you inspect the knife, you're going to get the bad ending. If you go the whole game without looking at the knife, you're going to get a better ending. This will happen if you do that. That will happen if you do this. Right, or the infamous dog ending. <laughs> oh, the, the dog ending is great. I know, it, it's kind of, uh, yet again, I haven't played these games, but I've, because of a lot of my culture that I sit around, I, uh, I help run a chiptune event. Well, it's kind of been changing lately, but it's been mostly chiptune and I've played multiple, uh, small festivals. What's chiptune? Chiptune is music created from, uh, anything old and video gamey quote unquote, and kind of keeps that sort of feel and sound. So like, uh, a lot of the members of the chip community uh, use Game Boys because there's a very famous and very good piece of software out there called LSDJ, uh, Little Sound DJ. And basically, it's also another tracker like what I was using on the Amiga. And you get four tracks of sound. On there, you get two pulse channels, one triangle channel, and one noise channel. And I'm pretty sure... The triangle can be switched out for like a sample channel, but that's four bit audio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you only get like a certain amount of fidelity with it. That's and, pretty cool though. It's limiting. Yeah. And I, a lot of artists that I've talked to uh, over the years have been like, well, I had all these options and well, I can become the band. Uh, I don't need to worry about it. And because of the limiting factors, like what I was talking about with the Amiga, I can, I have to focus on creating it and making it good rather than just making music constantly, I guess. And it, any sort of tracker software tends to be very labor-intensive. Uh, basically, uh, the type that I use is uh, 99%, and eh, that's an exaggeration, about 90% keyboard input. And you'll be... Uh, No worries. No worries. That's what editing's for. <laughs> nope, this is all going <laughs> Well, it's live now, but... <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they can hear us now. Yeah, I hope so, and I hope you're not getting a bunch of, like, turn it up! Um, well, but, they can fuck up. Uh, kind of, where was I? <laughs> you were talking about um, building chiptune music. Okay, yeah. Um, and, like, okay, yeah, so you have a keyboard, and... Instead of using what in a traditional DAW you would draw out the difference, um, what do you call it? You would draw out your automations. In this, you have to use hex code. Um, 
zero through F, for those that aren't familiar, kind of like how binary is zero to one. And you'll be able to create different things such as arpeggiation, uh, which isn't creating an arpeggio on a keyboard or like those big uh, like rave style arpeggios. It's creating three notes in a very short span of time to create a chord. Um, oh, okay. So they're not actually played at the same time. They're just milliseconds apart. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think like a good video game to relate to. Um, I don't know. But Final like, Fantasy does probably has a pretty eclectic. I'm not as familiar soundtrack. with the N- Nintendo Final Fantasies because that's more like where the uh, arpeggios would come in that I'm talking about, the arpeggiator in tracker software. Mm hmm. Um, but yeah, that'll allow you to actually make a chord or a, a semi-chord that because the notes are playing so fast. And oh, actually, if I remember correctly, there's a lot of stuff in Mario that has like those arpe- arpeggio sounds. Like uh, the one-up sound is like a really fast arpeggiated sound. It's that it's just three C major scales like played in a row. Oh yeah, I think that's. Is, I don't remember the whole C scale. Yes. Oh, that's what it is. That uh, uh, the mushroom when you grow. Up. Yeah, when you grow. Uh, <laughs> what do you call it when your mushroom grows? Um, <laughs> uh, it's uh, three really quick uh, C scales. It's all done in like less than a second, but and it causes the ear to hear just like a growth sound rather than a. Uh, the actual notes. So they don't even change tone. It's just because of the way that it's written. It just makes you think that it's getting higher pitched. Yeah. Because like, I, I think it, like, I think it, I think it sounds like it's getting higher. Yeah, it does. It does. But uh, it goes up three octaves. Uh, oh, oh, okay. Okay. I understand now. Yeah. That's really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because I, I found out it was that C, uh, like C major or C minor, whatever scale it was. Because I was watching this video and they uh, for like a speed run or something, and they slowed down a part to show like the intense like moment this guy happened to hit a pixel and like jump off, and it was right when he got a mushroom. So also I hear and I'm like, wait, that's what the power up sound is. Cool, I did not know that. Yeah, so like, in knowing that, you can kind of guess how like a lot of these sounds are made on like a chip synth, like. You don't have drums on a Game Boy unless you've sampled them, and then in that case, it's going to sound like shit, just to put it bluntly. Like, it's going to have a very big amount of white, or bleh, a very large amount of white noise to it, um, because it's four bits and you've got all the anti aliasing and bit reduction happening there that will cause it to just sound awful. <laughs> At least in my personal opinion, it's usable in certain ways but uh back to the point like to create a drum if you want to have a hi-hat like easiest way is to use like a noise sample and just hit it and have it fade off and you'll have to do that through either a table um the column effects which is what i was talking about with the hex coding part of it the arpeggiating and whatnot uh yeah arpeggiation can happen either through uh column effects uh, it's it's kind of hard to talk about this stuff without a visual display, and I know it's an audio waveform or an audio <laughs> podcast. So like, uh, I don't want to be like flipping through my phone, going, "Oh yeah, check this out," because uh, you won't get the same 
sort of feeling. Uh, it's more about so like a table in uh, LSDJ is basically a block of code that you can repeat multiple times and so you can set it up so that every time you play a note and have table let's say zero one play it'll play a volume fade down uh over time so it'll just keep on slowly going down per tick a tick is a certain amount on the crystal per clock <laughs> yeah this stuff gets really complicated really quick yeah it sounds cool but yeah it's essentially like um I'm going to go back to the Amiga software because that's what I'm more familiar with. You have a block, which I was talking about before, and you have a certain amount of lines per clock, uh, or lines per block per clock. And each one of those lines can be subdivided into ticks, and uh, you can set your TPL tick per line uh, on each one of those lines. So that helps with arpeggiation and certain other effects like uh, retrigger. Retrigger is playing the same note over and over and over again. Um, and so, what I uh, what you would do with an arpeggio um, is like I want this note to be played across this range. Let's say it's zero uh, zero three six i think it is it'd be like you use the arpeggiator code in zero three six um which makes a minor chord i i typically didn't use this sort of stuff in my music because i went for much more aggressive and like eclectic sort of music as well as uh hardcore or amiga core your music seems more like ambiance driven than anything nowadays absolutely um when i kind of started discovering that people broke the limits of electronica um i discovered breakcore first through like my friend going like oh well you like all this like strange idm stuff why don't you uh and you kind of write breakcore and i was like breakcore what's that and he handed me a cd and it was a compilation called breakcore gives me wood and basically it's this large festival that used to uh, i think it still happens every once in a while but it was much more prevalent in like 2006 to 2010, I want to say. That's a good run. Yeah, I imagine it's a smaller festival too. Yeah. Or is it big? Uh, it was pretty big. It was like a 3,000 person festival. Cool. Like, so yeah, like up to 3,000, like when it was at its prime. And that was when like this was still kind of new and people were, didn't really have aggressive music or super uh, masculine slash yeah aggressive masculine music to listen to in the electronic field uh it kind of crosses the line with drum and bass and hardcore as well hardcore is a very old style it's basically at its simplest like loud bass drums over uh underneath like uh what is called a hoover synth it's called a hoover because it kind of sounds like a hoover uh a vacuum <laughs> when, when you play yeah. it but it's cool like, basically from the super saw synth from roland or super saw oscillator from roland and it kind of sounds like there's um anywhere from eight to 64 oscillators playing at once so it's this big like white noisy sound and you then pitch it down over time so it'll either go Bew! like that it sounds like a hoover, uh, a hoover a vacuum mm -hmm. 
turning off or starting up. Oh, okay. I get you now. Uh, and like you play large, uh, what do you call it? Yeah. Can you just stop? No, just keep, it's no. so distracting. No. I, <laughs> keep going. Uh, what do you call it? Um, but yeah, uh, basically, uh, like, so it'd be very white noisy and very presence heavy. Um, in that you can, it, it just kind of covers the entire oral range of frequencies. And then you have a big loud bass drum uh, underneath. And actually those are often made with like clusters of oscillators as well to create that extreme like bass drum, like huge hit. Um, another way to create it is just to throw a shitload of distortion on everything. And just period like. You have people like English Muffin or uh, uh, I'm trying to think other people that would do just like the pure distortion technique. Oh, excuse me. Um, I'm trying to think like English Muffin. Um, I got introduced to this horrible band called Designer Drugs. I'm sorry if you're a fan, but <laughs> I don't really know them. I think I've heard of oh, them. It's so bad. It's like if someone uh, was trying to be it, it's a thing i like to call false masculinity it's because it's loud it's cool and it's manly and it's just like well it's just kind of loud and really annoying oh where, yeah where i mean i listen to stuff that's super aggressive super loud um but it's because there's an underlying like presence underneath it all and still keeps that song structure rather than just repeating loops over and over and over again I feel like music that's loud for the sake of loud or heavy for the sake of heavy, it has like its place, but it's got to be done very well. Yes, I I absolutely agree. And even some of the people that I listen to nowadays, if I go back to some of their older music, uh, I'll, I'll say Delta 9 for one example. Like, I'm lucky enough to have met the man and played a few shows with him in some uh, in the underground lounge here in Chicago. Oh, cool. Yeah, and it's cool because, like, this guy has gone from basically using a 909, uh, an old Roland drum machine, uh, with your good old DS1 pedal or your, uh, what's that black uh, pedal from Boss, the metal distortion. Like, it's literally called metal distortion. Oh, I was thinking Big Muff. Oh, uh, no. Though those are very prevalent in a lot of music. Um, yeah, I've seen those, at t like... They're one of those pedals that, after the first time I saw one, I started seeing them everywhere. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like 303s in all of electronic music. Um, 303 is a famous bass synthesizer, and it's got a very, very distinctive sound, but it has that sound. And so, if you want that, you have to use that synthesizer, and then you kind of get hooked on that sound as well. It's kind of like how uh, TR-808s, the drum machine, are super prevalent in music today. Now, is that why, like, modern, like, people who not, might be using synthesizers or even electronic music stuff, they'll keep those older machines because you can't get those sounds from modern machines? I, in part, yes, and in part, no. Um, there's certain things like uh, the TB-303 is like a great example of that, the TR-909, the TR-808. There's modern replications and clones of all these things, but if you want the original sound, go with the original gear. Because I've seen drummers that use electronic drums, and they'll have top-of-the-line pads, but then they'll have a big 
beefy looking dude that you can tell is like 15 20 years old yeah that might be either the simmons uh simons however you say it or, or i pronounce it simmons uh or the lindrum uh lindrum is a very famous uh drum machine just because it didn't sound like anything out at the time. It didn't sound as electronic, where um, the 808 is very obviously electronic sounding. Uh, where the 909, it uses some sampling as well as uh, analog circuitry in it. So it can sound kind of on both ends at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like you can never get the same sound on modern gear that you can get off of let's say a profit uh synthesizer from oh fuck honestly i'm not gonna remember the company name right now but (laughs) (laughs) what do you call it um but it's a beautiful synthesizer and it was one of the first that like really showed off showed off its polyphony very well um and polyphony for those that don't know is to be able to, to be able to play more than one note at a time and I think that was either four or eight voice uh, polyphony. And I'm sorry to all any synth person that listens or watches the stream of this. Um, I'm going to be very bad with my facts. But um, basically, like, when Bob Moog and uh, Don Buchla started making synthesizers, or even if you go back to Leon Theremin, uh, Leon Theremin made a radio-controlled synthesizer but it only played one note at a time and you would play it with uh sticking your hands into these radio waves is that similar so i've seen bands that use it it just looks like an antenna coming up and Mm -hmm. they just move their hand near the antenna and that makes the sound yeah um there's two types of theremins like there's a pitch-based one that um it only needs one antenna so you as you move closer it's going to raise and pitch Mm-hmm. But um, with the uh, Leon Theremin style ones, the old Paya ones, the old, and of course the Moog ones, um, you'll have two antennas, one for volume, and as you get closer to it, it's going to get louder. And then you're going to have one over, uh, my left hand would be the amplification, and the right hand would be the pitch. So you'd have to sit here and play the pitch and to get different notes, and you'd wave your left hand while your right hand's like trying to hold still and keep oh, that cool. pitch going. Um, so came from uh, Don Bu- from Leon Theremin, go up to Don Buchla and uh, Bob Moog, uh, two huge heroes of mine because they created a many, many, many of the tools for modern music. Um, but their synthesizers were mostly monophonic versus po- uh, polyphonic. Monophonic meaning you can only play one note at a time. Um, I mean, the most famous uh, Moog synthesizer, the Voyager, um, I think you can do some patchwork, patching being changing away the way the synthesizer works to make it duophonic so that as you're playing one of the oscillators will follow a new pitch when you hit it and the other one will hold the last pitch um or um but like in general you'd only be able to play one note per oscillator um on these synthesizers or you'd have a cluster or group of uh cluster or group of oscillators that will um 
all play at the same time through the same series of systems. And through modern technology getting smaller and being able to implement different things such as um, multiples of the same board going at a time. So I'd have the same oscillator filter uh, envelopes, LFOs, and amplifier all stuck in uh, one synthesizer. Then I'd have three more clones of those exact boards. So when each time I would play a new note, it would play on a different one of those boards. And so that way you could get the polyphony. And finally people were able to play chords in about uh, the 70s is kind of when that really started to become more readily available. And then the 80s was the big digital revolution where everybody could get, oh, I have a 16 voice synthesizer so I can play 16 notes at once. Uh, I'm kind of using the DX7 as the, uh, what do you call it? The forefront of that, um, though I know that's very inaccurate. And the DX7, for those that don't know, is the sound that you make all the Stranger Things noises with. <laughs> the Stranger Things noises? Yeah, like... Um, a lot of uh, the modern, like, retro wave or uh, quote-unquote music that sounds like the 80s but doesn't really sound like the 80s. Um, uh, so it's 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 an, a modern instrument that can replicate 80s It's a very sounds. old instrument. Oh, it's an old instrument. It's from the 80s. It's oh, so, well, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, like, oh, I'm trying to think, like, the only real examples I can think is like if you listen to Laserhawk, like he uses I think three of them, and typically one will be the bass sound. And where I've been talking a lot about uh, analog synthesizers, these digital synthesizers were more specialized in different forms of synthesis. Where a lot of the stuff I personally like to use is subtractive, but about two or three years ago I really started to fall in love with um, I have a little longer than that I started to fall in love with FM synthesizers which is frequency modulation and frequency modulation is using oscillators to modulate oscillators which are modulating oscillators and the DX7 gets its name because it had seven such oscillators in it six of them voicing ones and one of them an LFO uh, low frequency oscillator Cool. So, so FM is that the same as like uh, radio? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, yeah, it uh, follows a similar principle of carrier and modulator. So you can have, or uh, as they were said in FM synthesis through Yamaha, uh, who made the DX7, uh, you would have an operator, um, and your operator could be either the carrier or the modulator. So the operator is what you're hearing, and the modulator is what is affecting what you're hearing. And what was cool about um, these old school synthesizers, uh, especially the DX7, is that velocity would change different parts of the patch of the synthesizer. And it would, like, um, I keep on bringing up Laserhawk, but he was a big inspiration for, like, a hot minute. Oh, yeah? Uh, but, like, he will use, like, a DX7, and it'll... Uh, change the velocity from like 0 to 64 over like one sixteen note uh, sequence so instead of just being da 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 um, you could get it to be dynamic so go da do boom 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 da gong like 
that sort of stuff because of the different velocities you're using. And then you would have aftertouch on top of that. And aftertouch was a cool thing where you could yet again like affect how all these oscillators were working after you played the note. You could kind of push down on the Cool. CCDM or CC as I know him. Mm. What does the DM stand for in CCDM? Uh, the full thing uh, comes from when I was in black metal. It started out as DM, uh, which was Dios Mortis, um, which is Latin, and I'll let you look that up. Um, and uh, later the band kind of broke off because our singer didn't really want to do it anymore, so we reformed and uh I added CC to it, which was Count Kristoff, because oh. like I, I was part of the generation where vampires weren't sparkly, so like it was cool to be like vampiric. Yeah, my vampires were goth. Yeah, like, <laughs> and I was like a neo goth, or as some people like to call them, a spooky fruit. <laughs> a spooky fruit. Yeah, in like the uh, '90s, though, I was way more into black metal and should have been wearing like corpse paint every day. Looks like Tiffany's home. You wore corpse paint every day? No, I didn't. <laughs> oh. Uh, but yeah, like, I definitely went through my goth period. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with a goth period. I had to, uh, my freshman year in high school was my goth period, and I had the chain trip pants that you get from Hot Topic. Oh yeah, still have them. <laughs> I was also in marching band, and I played the bass drum. Wait, no, this was pre-bass drum. This was cymbals, and I think I had to do it once when I had a snare drum, but when I did the cymbals, I was all gothed out, and... This is pretty much for drumline, but if you were late, you would run as many laps around the football field as you were late. <laughs> so if you're five minutes late, you run five laps around the field. And I had to do that, and you do it while you're holding your instrument. Yep. Uh, what do you call it? Well, luckily, um, second, I, I was in marching band as well. And in my second year, I ended up being able to... Because um, uh, we started in eighth grade. Is that how high school works? <laughs> So no, high school's eighth, ninth grade. But eighth grade was when you got introduced to the high school band for oh, yeah. March. Yeah, we did that like the the summer, like at the the beginning or end of summer break between eighth and ninth grade, you would go in and do like the pre-marching band thing. Or at least that's how we did it. We had to go in the parade that year and all the way up until fall. See, we did the parades. We did, uh, you, you started marching in seventh and eighth grade and that was just marching in the parade. And then going into ninth grade, the first two weeks before school started, you had to do band camp where we would go over all the music beforehand and just mm. go right into the marching show. And then starting in ninth grade, we started doing the field performances. Gotcha. Um, yeah, well, uh, what I was saying was that I got lucky <laughs> because um, second, or th second year, 
i.e. the sophomore year of high school, I ended up being, uh, what the hell is that called? Drum major. Drum major. <laughs> I ended up being drum major. And so I was the guy that was calling people to like not be late on the field. <laughs> oh, you had to be the hard ass? Uh, I had to be the hard ass. Were you a hard ass? I wasn't too much, but like if people were dragging their asses, I'd be like, dude, I just want to like actually get practice in so we don't make fools of ourselves. Our drum majors were always the... Uh the kind of preppy girls who, who are really good at being a hard ass though like first trumpet people i don't know if your high school's first trumpets were the same but oh yeah uh i feel the, there are stereotypes that go across every oh marching band. god yeah um and it was the female and she was second or first trumpet i don't know oh, she was a trumpet as well yeah and she was the <laughs> other person trying out for drum major and she was a hard ass and she was kind of a crazy lady uh back in the day but um she didn't get the attention of the band and i think the major thing was that i showed respect and i i was like no i want to do this i don't want to just be there for the social aspect of like yes i am the leader of the band i was like no i want to like make sure this band's in order when we're working together did you uh what was your instrument before um i played saxophone a lot i really don't like it nowadays as much to be probably because i grew up with it yeah Probably because I grew up with it in concert band. Um, went from alto to tenor. Um, and the majority of high school, I was upright bass. Ooh, that sounds fun. Yeah. Um, me and another student were both on upright bass. And basically, uh, our concert uh, teacher was very uh, wanting to like expand out into more than like the traditional like what you would see in a concert band um so we had a contrabassoon a contra or a bass clarinet and like large bass clarinets were always cool yeah uh heavy metal saxophones mm-hmm, definitely <laughs> um but yeah and in jazz band i primarily played the tenor saxophone but um i was also part of the rhythm section so i would play um either upright bass or electric bass in that and then uh what do you call it uh i play some auxiliary percussion stuff as well like a little bit of xylophone and like uh whatever the two percussionists couldn't cover in the jazz ensemble cool uh it's funny though because like at the time i really really wanted to be a guitarist because like <laughs> I really wanted to be a guitarist because, um, we, uh, like the sort of like high school rock star thing, you know, like wanting to be that cool dude, but it was part of the music like that I was listening to. I was listening a lot of like, uh, what I was first introduced for the heavy stuff was, uh, like new metal stuff, but it was less like rap metal and more like corn. Yeah, corn like when they were good, like the first two albums. Um, I like I forget what it's called, but I like the I know it as the red one. It's got a bunch of faces on it. It had uh, oh, and had a bunch of singles. Like almost every song on it was catchy. It wasn't follow the leader. It wasn't corn corn. No, I think it was the it one. It was the after one in between follow. there. Oh, it was the one. In, was it issues? I think it was issues. Issues was way later. I, th- I think this might even be later corn. I just remember reading it and just be or listening to it and just being like, "This is great." Uh, like the ones I listen to is where Blind and um, Adidas. 
Adidas was the second album, and that uh, those two albums are more of like what I listened to when it was like heavy music. And um, then uh, as I started like working with this metal band, I ended up uh, getting introduced to a lot of like super old school black and like true heavy metal, like stuff like that. And never really got behind like Metallica or um, oh, who else? Like Megadeth, Megadeths. Uh, I'm on and off about Slayer. Uh, Slayer has a time and a place. Like I, yep. I, I enjoy Slayer, but it's not a band oh, yeah. that I can just turn on and just really rock out to Slayer for a week. Yeah, I mean, I can put on Rain and Rain and Blood to like and listen to that album in full, but it, it really needs to be a particular day. But like, oh yeah, like I was hugely influenced by Cradle of Filth. Because oh, Cradle of Filth is great. They have such a melodic presence, uh, and it's. Uh, same thing with like Demo Board Year, but I also got into like Morbid Angel as well, um, just because it was so fucking brutal and heavy and like kind of outlying from all the indie rock and like ska that everybody was listening to. Even though I really like punk and I'm on and off about ska, like <laughs> it tends to sound like the same thing after about five songs. It depends on the band. A lot of ska bands kind of blend together but every once in a while you'll find one that really stands out mm. and so yeah like that that's kind of like my high school was like finding all that uh bit another big one was deicide i don't know deicide oh they're fucking awesome are they black metal um I've, more kind of thrash black like it's it's really good like listen to it if you get a chance i was all uh also like super anti-religious i still kind of am but um <laughs> Super anti-religious. Ooh, let's so, talk about that. So that, um, in uh, like anything that would like reflected that, I would listen to. Oh yeah, yeah. So did you like like old school Marilyn Manson and like the yeah. shock rock for all? Oh, that's actually an- another huge influence. Um, especially growing up and learning to be a singular mu- uh, musician was uh, Trent Reznor first and foremost because he basically created all of his own stuff would have guest guitarists and keyboardists and production designers in. And same thing with Manson, where Manson more or less had an idea and would have people help him form that idea. Yeah, Marilyn Manson kind of had an act more than anything else. Um, we, I'd, I'd listen to Antichrist Superstar again. Like I you, say, You should. I've been listening to it on repeat for a long time. <laughs> I'll tell you more about it when we're not on the thing, but I've been listening to that like constantly. It's such a good album. Like, uh, it's so dynamic. And that was one major thing, like, kind of why I can't really just sit down and listen to, like, metal bands anymore is because it's not as dynamic of an approach. Because, like, you take, um, let's not take even Pretty Hate Machine or Broken because those are very individualized ideas, like, Let's take uh, Downward Spiral is kind of like one of those huge dynamic. Oh, Downward Spiral is great. I just listened to that one, too, the other day. It's not my favorite. My favorite is The Fragile um, by Nine Inch Nails. But you get the picture of, like, it starts off with Mr. Self-Destruct. It's this huge, like, power uh, bashing sort of thing. And if I remember correctly, it goes into uh, Piggy after that. Yeah, and then Piggy Pig- is one of the first ones, and I think Heresy is shortly after that one. Yes, yeah, uh, it's Piggy, Heresy, and then March of the Pigs. I just listened to it the other day at work. Um, Trent Reznor does a really good job of being progressive with his music too. In that, like, and this is the thing I like about prog bands. Like, I or 
in groups. Like I enjoy Dream Theater and Tool mm-hmm. and all those. Tool Tool does it to a little bit of a they they're able to hit it a little more, but they still kind of have that mathness to to it where you're like, okay, this is obviously in some sort of weird signature. Nine Inch Nails and Trent Reznor, he'll write a song, and it sounds like a regular four four pop song. Mm. But then you go and listen to it or try to count it out, and it's like, oh, he added three eighth notes there or took one out. Yeah, I, I remember getting pissed off um, because I was using software that, like, Ableton is very latched on being 4-4 four, four, or 3-4. Uh, yeah. I'm just going to say that out loud right now because it, it's like, oh, my God, I have to think about changing time signatures if I want to. And Trent Reznor for the With Teeth album ended up releasing a bunch of remix files one song on there and I think it's with teeth mm-hmm. and I get it and I like pop it into Ableton to start like cutting it down and like do some arrangement I'm like what the f- wait this oh the, yeah no they have a song on there where uh, a friend of mine we were actually listening to it we were driving up to Milwaukee my friend Austin and I and he had told me this other tidbit that I'm gonna throw in but we were counting it out and I forget which song it is but it counts out to 13 8 ton I yeah I think that's the song and then there's a measure in there that's only seven Oh yeah, and, and it's awful. Like if you're trying to like remix it on like a more four on the floor style like music, you're sitting there like, okay, one two three four five six seven eight nine. One two three four five six. One two three four five six seven. One two three four five six seven eight nine. What is going on in this song? It was kind of funny because we're driving and both of us have our own, our own methods of counting, and I hear his method and I hear my method going like back to back with each other but it came out because he said it was in 26 and I said it was 13 so the whole phrase is 26 beats per minute and or um beats per measure excuse me and uh real slow another thing he had told me though um he said that with teeth was the first album that Trent Reznor had done since he got sober yes uh, actually that's kind of like uh, there's a great uh, picture uh, it's like this 20 panel meme out there and it's talking about how like Trent Reznor sobered up and like he tried to get in with the like synthesis crowd and everything and like I do like Year Zero I don't like With Teeth because I can tell he had way too much coffee while writing <laughs> well he had to substitute it for cocaine yeah like it, that's what he was saying is that he had to he would just work out and drink like 20 cups of coffee every single day is that why he got jacked yes like that was <laughs> one of the reasons why he got jacked he is, went from skinny goth guy to like gym bro like out of nowhere right yeah and that's what's the picture that's most famous out of that 20 panel is that uh, it's a picture of this big huge Trent Reznor he goes like hey check it out I wrote a three hour ambient album and like <laughs> you just see like these IDM slash like synth head sort of people like going yeah so did my dishwasher uh. <laughs> and it's it's kind of the thing is that like I don't know like I really liked Year Zero though I, I like the whole con- I, anything that's a concept album mm-hmm. I already enjoy or at least I'm willing to like enjoy it that much more because I like the idea of having a friend of mine told me a thing because we were talking. He was complaining about uh, like buying individual songs, and that's the thing now. Mm-hmm. And he or says not even buying it at this point. Or yeah, I steal all my stuff. But <laughs> I've I've actually really tried to stop. Like it's not necessarily stealing because oftentimes I'll be given band will be like, hey, here's a download code. Or if something it's a like local that. person, I try to I try to buy their stuff. But if it's Nine Inch Nails, I'm I'm gonna torrent their whole discography. Yeah, at this point, I've owned all their albums at some point i'm just gonna download the rest of them uh 
Don't arrest me. Um, <laughs> but, Just make um, sure you have those receipts and then it's legal. Yeah. And uh, same thing goes for Manson. Like I had a large amount of his stuff, but I had to re-download all of his stuff. Actually, that's uh, some albums I need to buy is Deftones stuff, which is... Ooh, yeah, I, Early Deftones is great. And I, the only reason I don't include current Deftones is just because I don't know it as well. Me neither. I listened to some of it. Uh, I listened to some of the newer stuff from Deftones and I I don't know. It was just so... Because they were also in that kind of new metal like scene as well. Um, but more outliers because they were much more of the post-metal variety. Well, the way he sings is incredible. Yes. Uh, like, and it can... Chino, that's his name, right? Chino Marino, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always I always liked it because it was a rhyming name. Um, but yeah, like, because I've been getting more into, like, ISIS again, uh, the band, not the stupid group. Um, <laughs> You're not a terrorist? No. <laughs> Audio terrorist, maybe, but not... Oh, ISIS is great. ISIS is great. Like, I've been getting into, like, very drawn out music and um if you might have noted that at first i was like listening to all this stuff because speed is awesome like yeah if you can play fast you can do anything but um lately like i've slowed down a lot i don't know if it's because i'm 33 and at that point i was 16 and drinking a lot of caffeine um but i started to enjoy stuff that's going at like really slow tempos and almost disparate like well you've been getting into drone lately yeah uh like i the first time i had a religious experience was only a uh, religious experience a religious experience at a concert was only recently when i got to see sun and that's because it i don't know how to explain the feeling that you get of watching these guys like create an atmosphere on stage and it was a four piece when they were playing so it was Stephen O'Malley, and I always forget the second guitarist because Stephen O'Malley is, like, the main guy for Sun. Uh, no, Martin Anders. No, never mind. Uh, <laughs> uh, then they had a person playing, uh, I think it was a Moog Rogue on stage. And then they had um, Attila. Um, and I, he has some Europe, uh, European name that I cannot pronounce for a last name. And basically, like... It was kind of awesome because Sun is known for their fog on stage. Everybody that knows about them or looks up pictures is going to see a bunch of guys in robes or a bunch of fog on stage, period. And what was cool is, like, they had started to, like, build it up so that, like, it would be – they'd open the curtains and, like, the fog would just, like, come down into the audience. And Attila suddenly shows up in front of the curtains and starts doing, like, this chant, this long, slow, like, chant. And I don't know what language it necessarily was in. Chanting Latin? Uh, possibly, because I'm... They seem cool enough to speak Latin on stage. Yeah, and they've definitely, like... I'm pretty sure the song, and I don't know the Norwegian name, but Megachurch is in um, Norwegian. Actually, Attila, I'm pretty sure, is from, like, a Scandinavian country. Oh, then it might even be, if not some kind of Nordic language, maybe even, like, an ancient Nordic, because... Possibly. I don't know. Bands are like, like that are cool enough to kind of capitalize for lack of a better term on like dead languages because mm -hmm. they sound spooky almost yeah for lack of a better term yeah so uh yeah attila comes out on stage does this chant and like all of a sudden the smoke alarm is going off in the venue and it is fucking loud as hell and so you just hear like this beep 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 beep, beep. and like 
you just watch as Attila just like slowly lowers the microphone and like everybody's just like turn the fucking thing off and like everybody's kind of going nuts and then all of a sudden Attila starts again in beat with the smoke alarm going off. That's a good showman. Yeah, he just like and it's like four times as fast as he was going before, but it was just so on point. And then like they finally get the smoke alarm off, curtains open, and just like the bass from these uh, like baritone guitars just starts like filling the entire venue and just like literally oscillating my intestines. Nice. Uh, And yeah, yet again, I'm not a huge like loud or bass heavy person, but it was appropriate for the music. Well, like we were saying earlier, it's got to be done right. And I would say Sun is a band that does kind of hit that mark. Even if you don't like them, they have uh, they have uh, they definitely have a goal that they're setting out to achieve and they reach that goal. Yes. See that I don't know. That's that's I can appreciate a lot of music that I wouldn't necessarily like if I can tell what they're trying to do and if they're doing it well. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, I feel that way about a lot of like rap music or even country, probably to a better degree, because I'm not huge into country, but I know what they're going for, and I know good country when I hear it. Yeah, I don't like big stadium country stuff, but I can find like every once in a while, like it tends to be more on the folk range. Yeah, country, but like every once in a while, I'll listen to like. Stuff I feel like, like that. stadium country is pop music that put on a big hat. Yep, period. Like I, <laughs> I, I'm not arguing whatsoever. Like, uh, like it's Katy Perry with a cowboy hat and some boots. Yep. Uh, uh, what do you call it? I was it Bo Burnham that has the great comedy thing? Uh, big shoes, blue jeans. <laughs> like it, that it, might be Bo Burnham. I, <laughs> Bo Burnham impresses me as far as comedians go because he's very well rounded. He's a good musician. And apparently, he's an awesome director. I haven't seen his movie, but I, I've uh, it's called like Eighth Grade or Eighth Graders or something like that. Yeah, the same friend that I wanted to work with on the film, like he was just like it's exactly what I went through in high school or like in uh, middle to high school. Yeah, I've heard it's a great like coming of age kind of movie. Right. Um, I. I wonder if he and even he said I wonder if I'm going to get the same effect because it's more about like the modern generation with the digital age and I did not grow up with that period I was uh, when I was going out to random barns to go watch metal bands it was embarrassing to have a cell phone see yeah that I I become a dick at shows because Mm. if I'm at I remember seeing I think it was Tenacious D at Riot Fest and we're like three rows from the stage and there's some asshole with his phone up going like this and every time I look up I have to look at the stage through his fucking screen and it was already pretty tight so at that point I just did everything I'm like all right any forward momentum is just gonna go into this guy and fuck up his video yeah uh, that's one reason why I highly respect Aphex Twins kind of shyness slash like fuck off uh, mentality on stage uh, he's done a show where he played completely underneath a rug the entire time, <laughs> so nobody could see him on stage. Um, and the other one recently, like, people have been posting this up on, like, social media, is, like, he says, like, I really, really want to play a show where I'm playing behind a bunch of mirrors because I can be like, hey, there you are, you cunts. The, uh... <laughs> Uh, a lot of comedians are doing it now, and some bands are. I think Jack White might have done it, and I know for a fact Dave Chappelle did it, but uh, they have these bags. I haven't actually seen them, so I don't know how they work. 
But when you go in, you put your phone in this bag and you can't open it until after the show is over. I actually highly respect that. I think it's embarrassing that we have to do that, but I really hope that that becomes more the norm because there's nothing I hate more than an asshole with a phone out at a show. When we saw Slayer, there's a guy in front of me doing the same thing. And anytime he'd do it, I'd have to walk like 20 paces over because I'm I'm not going to see Slayer's last show through some asshole's phone. And a caveat to this, like as a person that wants to remember some of the shows I not only play but help organize and want to promote as well, like I'm very guilty of doing that, but it's not the entire fucking time. Like that's a huge thing to me is like, Okay, get your little snapshot. It's going to sound awful on audio. Uh, it's going to probably be shaky as all hell, but it's a memory for you. And maybe even post it so the band can have that video for them. See, if we're going to do that, though, I think maybe then the venue, and, and this would probably infringe on the way artists want to do their things, because I know a lot of them, and I like this mentality, is this is an intimate moment with the band in Chicago, Illinois, or mm-hmm. St. Louis, and it's for no one else. But... If this is the era we're going to be in, maybe the venue should tape the show. So there's a high quality video out there that you could be like, hey, look at the thing I was at, rather than showing people on your phone. Or really what it's for is to post on Facebook for people to scroll past and be like, oh, I guess he was at this show and never watch the video anyways. Right. Uh, personally, like whenever I, uh, as a person that uses Facebook, uh, whenever I see that sort of thing on there and it's a band I want to see I definitely watch the entire thing and sometimes I'm like oh holy shit they got the whole show which is nice but yet again shaky camera horrible audio well and also I mean it like a lot of people use the will say the same thing you did where it's like oh well just take a quick video or this or that but if there's 30,000 people in a place taking a quick video mm-hmm. there's never a moment when somebody's phone isn't out yeah um one guy that I've been recently inspired by, and it's partially because I really enjoy his usage of the modern kind of ADD DJ mixing. Um, I can go into that if you want, but um, uh, this guy named Schaffelstein, and I know I pronounced that wrong, but you'll know him if you've heard him before. And he creates this like low tempo sort of dark wave uh, EBM, which to define electronic body music, it's typically like goth dance music or something like that (laughs) like front 242 uh people like that um but uh i felt great because this person actually sat at oh i want to say coachella and they recorded the whole thing and they actually stabilized the whole video so it stayed around the right way and it was an excellent excellent speak uh microphone on the phone or maybe they had an external plug thing plugged in and I could enjoy this concert that I wouldn't have seen otherwise because a lot of the bands I listen to just don't even perform in Chicago let alone the United States yeah I, I admit I'll do the same and maybe that makes me a bit of a hypocrite because although I'll chastise the people that bust out their phones mm-hmm. if I can find a good video on YouTube of a band I like I'll sit and watch the full concert oh yeah like uh, and that's important, especially for growing like a fan base or keeping a record. And that's kind of a huge thing to me is like I, I've i been doing a few digital releases and I'm lucky enough to have Radio Graffiti, uh, the record label that I produced uh, two vinyl out of, uh, press 
um, an EP of like my really old school sociopath recordings sort of stuff. Um, and then recently I had a full album release. Uh, the album is called Decline. And it's a lot of my Amiga core stuff. And we were sitting after a recent show in Milwaukee. He was driving me back to the train at like 5 a.m. And we were kind of talking similar things about society. And we both kind of have like a similar viewpoint in the world. So I'm really lucky to have that uh, in a producer slash uh, label owner. But I was saying to him, like, I don't care if I have... Uh, only a hundred copies or five copies of a certain release that I do in a physical form because in the future I have a record of that time in my life I don't have a digital copy that will degrade over time yeah tapes CDs vinyl will all degrade but I'm saying like we won't always be able to keep all of our internet archives as well as keeping physical archives, if that makes sense. Basically, like, yeah, I want when... Uh, you appreciate having the hard copy. Yes, very much so, and I've been trying to buy more vinyl and more uh, recently tapes because of, like, my obsession with my 4-track right now. <laughs> I do like that vinyl is kind of making a resurgence. It's a, it, Like, I finally cracked and got a uh, record player mm -hmm. and everything because... I thought it might be a fad, but it seems like it's the way to go. Albums are coming out like this now, and it's cool because it makes it a much more tactile thing. It involves another sense in listening to the music, and I think CD players miss that mark just because they're so digital. A little bit. I have to disagree with you in part um, for even one of the bands that I know is a huge inspiration to you, Tool. Um one thing from Slipknot, uh, Marilyn Manson and um, Nine Snails and Cradle of Filth. I loved their CD books. Oh, yeah. Their I CD books are great. I absolutely loved their CD books because Tool, like, you got a CD that if you had the physical copy of it, it actually had... Oh, a, the hologram? Yeah, it had a 3D, uh, 3D hologram that had three different pictures you could put oh, in. Oh, yeah, there it. were a bunch of them. Uh, Marilyn Manson, it was like a very physical thing where the main cover slipped over another cover that was in there, and then there was all this weird artwork along with the lyrics. I never had any Marilyn Manson CDs because I wasn't allowed to growing up. Oh, neither was I, but I had friends <laughs> go down to a CD store and buy it for me. I would go to the neighbor's house and listen to it, but Marilyn Manson did a cool thing, specifically with Antichrist Superstar, that... Like, the art was phenomenal to begin with. Mm -hmm. But uh, on top of that, they had, like, when you download it now, it's just called Track 99. But what it would do is it would take your CD player after Track 16 or 17, whenever it's over, it would go 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. Like, it would just, the, the dial would just keep going higher yeah. and higher until it hit Track 99. And I think a lot of it was the samples of the weird, like, backmasking and electro voices. And it was like a sound piece done with the... Uh, and uh, when you are dying, know that I have betrayed you. Yeah, there, like there's um, through all the a when Apple you are, Mac voices. <laughs> when you are suffering, know that I have betrayed yes, yeah. you, and um, you may as well kill yourself. You're already dead. And then there was one for a man that you fear that was constantly repeated at the end. And I'm trying to remember it. I can't remember. I actually just played the. I played through the whole album today on the drums. Oh. Can't remember. Oh, it, it, it's right at the outro, man that you fear. 
Um, man, I can't remember. But yeah, no, the, the sampling that they do is super cool in the experimental stuff. Like, I think Marilyn Manson hit his high water mark with Antichrist, Antichrist Superstar, and. I enjoyed the following two albums because mm. they continued that story. Right. But after Hollywood, I just stopped being interested because I feel like he kind of outgrew his act. I really love Golden Age of the Grotesque, but that's also because I'm into swing a lot. And like a lot of the grooves and feelings behind a lot of that music is swing music. Golden Age is pretty good. I'll, I'll give it that. Uh, it's not one that I'll put on, but if somebody puts it on, I'm like, okay, I can jam to this. Yeah. But anything after that, I I don't even know. Vampire and... Diaries or whatever it was called. Like, I know that's a book name, but um, what do you call it? Like, whatever the vampire one was, Ugh. I was just like, this is just trash. I feel like if you're over the age of 25 and you're not ironically using the term vampire... At I least think in something these days is wrong. Age. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz I mean I I'm I'm big into like the folklore and like myth of like a lot of like groups uh, and so like Yeah, but that you would never profess yourself as I'm a modern age vampire. Oh, I think that was the name of the album. But, but oh, like, that might be the name of the modern vampire or something. Something along those lines. but like it, Something that somebody that's almost 40 should not be putting out. Yeah. It's like Blink-182 singing about being in high school. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, no. It's the guy.
Uh, it's funny like as I'm adjusting that mic I'm thinking to myself like oh you could just easily sample that and use it in music like, <laughs> oh the squeakiness yeah like I've I've definitely um, I, I build on and off I've been trying to build these things called piezo boxes um, basically a piezo is a little type of microphone and you place it inside of a structure that's resonant so that you can uh, record whatever you tap on it or like whatever it's vibrating at or whatever. So you can, I know someone actually made a song out of a suspension bridge because they place it all over the bridge on different resonating structures, like different piezos. But um, yeah, like that micro sound thing I'm talking about, like just the fact that like you're picking up little like frequencies on the microphone itself. Oh yeah, this one in particular, I can get. Oh yeah, I can even hear it from here. Everything. It's it, even this one. It sounds real bassy when I hit. Um. Anyways. <laughs> yep. Yeah, okay. Uh, speaking of like samples and stuff, have you seen the documentary? I know that voice. No. You should watch it. I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but it's done by John DiMaggio, who does the voice of Bender mm-hmm. and the dog from Adventure Time. And it's all about voice acting. I'm just trying to remember. It, Fuck, what's the name of the name? I keep on wanting to say Frank. Anyways, continue. <laughs> oh, well, uh, anyways, they talk about how any sound, any silly sound you hear in a cartoon has to be recorded live Foley. somehow from somewhere. Yeah, Foley. And uh, they also, it's interesting because they talk about how the a voice actor's least favorite gig are video game gigs. Because they're just screaming the entire time. Well, not only that, but they're saying, like, the same thing over and over. So they'll be sitting there and they'll do, like, for example, the the guy from Resident Evil 4. What are you buying? Done. What are you selling? Done. There's no real, like, dialogue. It's just little sound bit after little sound bit. I remember watching uh, Cacho Cacho Arino. Uh, He uh, is the comedian that does uh game center cx out in japan Mm -hmm. and they released multiple games and they actually went into the recording studio and showed him like uh recording a bunch of lines over and over again and it was just like oh no oh no oh no oh no (laughs) he said it's a very tedious day if you're doing video game stuff yeah the uh, most interesting guy on there though i thought was the uh the dude that does porky porky the pig and he he teaches at some school, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how he has great job security, and he says if anyone can do it, if they can do Porky Pig's voice, they're welcome to have the job. Because I guess there's like almost a mathematical formula to the amount of stutters, how he stutters, what consonants he stutters on. I think I've seen that part of It's really that. interesting. Yeah, and it's the same thing for um, – like people can do impressions of uh, – uh, what's Droopy Dog is his name? The the, I'm the, so the white dog. <laughs> yeah, with yeah. The floppy ears. Yeah, like, and he has a very interesting meter, like, to his voice, and it's hard for people to pick up on that. Oh, I bet. Yeah, the, especially those old like Looney Tunes characters. Like, there are subtle nuances to their voice. You always know it's a new voice actor. 
I was uh, I was reading a thing about John Kay, who does the who wrote and did a lot of the animation for Ren and Stimpy, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how cartoons now are really missing the mark. Because if you watch old Looney Looney Tunes cartoons, all the dimensions are perfect. Like the specifically, he says if you know a cartoon is good, look at the feet, because if the feet are angled and proportioned correctly to the scene. It'll look so much better than a lot of modern cartoons, mm. which ignore that almost altogether. Yeah, I'm like thinking of like some more because I'm I'm a huge fan of animation and cartoons in general. Um, I'm thinking uh, like a lot of the modern Flash. I'm not against Flash animation. It's a great way to rapidly produce a product, but it does lose some of its feeling. Um, a lot of that stuff, all the feet are facing directly forward straight mm-hmm. forward and then when they turn it's turned all the way to the left or right oh yeah think and pay attention to feet next time you're watching cartoons like old school mickey mouse mm-hmm. and like uh like looney tunes kind of cartoons they're very aware of where their feet are all of their motions are very fluid their hands are where they're supposed to be and in modern cartoons like and it's one i i even enjoy but like rick and morty for example mm. They, they let a lot of that animation stuff go to the wayside. However, in Rick and Morty's defense, I will add that they pack their backgrounds with a lot of stuff. Even though aesthetically it might not be the best animation. Oh. At least to a layman's view like mine. But, uh, like, I notice something all the time when I'm watching Rick and Morty. I, I really enjoy the animation. Um, and to kind of out myself... Uh, it's kind of with that and um, My Little Pony was uh, I watched the first two seasons of that because it really reminded me of like 80s cartoons. Friendship I'll, is Magic, the newer one? Yeah, the newer one. Because um, it, it was really wholesome and I was going through like a super dark time at the time. It was kind of just <laughs> nice to be like, oh, nice, friendly, happy ponies. But um, at the same time, like sexy ponies, they did a lot of that proportional stuff now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, good God, don't even... <laughs> Brownies. Yeah, uh, what do you call it? Uh, I like to play a game, uh, and you know this. Uh, do you know that I like to play the Google search game? What's the Google search game? Turn off safe mode, first of all. That's the number one thing. Turn off safe <laughs> mode. And how long does it take to turn into anime, hentai, furries, or just straight-up porn? Oh, and just well, keep going through the images Yeah, until... and just, like, look at how deranged or weird it starts getting. Like, I look up, like, simple search terms... Just for things I'm looking at or researching. And it's just like, oh my god, how is there porn of this? I know it's Rule 34 and all, but... Oh, no. Oh, it's everywhere. <laughs> yep. Definitely. Alright, is there any... Uh, I figure this is a good time to call it on Google Safe Search Off Game. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to plug anything? Like any of your music? Any of your projects? I uh, recently, I released uh, on my personal band camp that CCDM dot bandcamp.com uh an ep called forest of hair um it's more towards the direction i'm going to be going with my music in the future so i suggest listening to that on the same website you can find uh the album which i mentioned earlier which is decline uh from radio graffiti there's vinyl as well as digital copies available of decline only digital of forest of hair for right now cool and where was that again that you could find it ccdm.bandcamp.com Awesome. And then uh, you you uh, you you help with bit by bit, too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Bit by oh, bit, my God. I, I should really mention that. Um, <laughs> let's cut out this little leave out intro because um, 
about two years ago, a f- uh, friend of the scene, uh, his name is Benji, uh, and another friend, Aaron. Um, Benji uh, goes by his own name for his moniker, and Aaron goes by uh, Venusai and uh, DJ Body Pillow. Started up a uh, about by our once every other month event called Bit by Bit. At the time, I was just a participant and enjoyed like the shows, but it's a mostly chiptune oriented event. Uh, we'll have things such as there's a big VR display available. Uh, there's uh, live visuals as well uh, paired with the artists. And nowadays I'm helping organize this stuff and we've kind of branched out from just purely the chip music scene out to more experimental and handmade music. Uh, ranging anywhere from like new school juke to like old school acid music or all sorts of other crazy stuff. Awesome. Uh, the most recent one uh, that I was visuals for was, um, oh, uh, it was T Chan uh, who did uh, who brought up the juke uh, sort of style. Uh, who else played? Oh yeah, I got defense mechanism out there, and we had five star hotel as our headliner. And I'm forgetting the third act right now, and that's not a good thing. But uh, we also had the very talented Sarah Rooney doing visuals out there and uh, it was a fun time like i'd love to see you out there mention that you randomly heard this podcast and i'll probably get embarrassed and try and hide behind the vj table but uh yeah feel free to come out uh it's typically advertised on facebook where do you go to see a bit by bit show uh it's at the venue is this wonderful place called dads which stands for digital audio dim uh yeah digital audio uh wow I forget what it stands for, but uh, it's basically a kind of safe environment for experimental art, uh, typically in the digital art realm. Um, I've seen uh, the wonderful Sarah Goodman there. She does wild video art as well as um, takes stills of these little micro moments that happen in her video. We've had um, one of the artists that did a display with her, Jim Jam, out there who does photography on the most part but also does some analog video stuff and yeah it's a wonderful place they do all sorts of weird and fun events not just our little tiny town our little tiny chip event i've been there it's a cool spot i want to go more often it's a good spot all right anything else you want to close out on oh nothing i can really think of right at the moment so let's just uh, head out all right cool well thanks for coming in cc being my technically first guest on like the real deal of it and i appreciate you for coming and joining me on not about planes all right well thanks cc have a good night
Когда я сплю, я не знаю ни страха, ни надежд, ни трудов, ни блаженства. Спасибо тому, кто изобрел сон. Это единые для всех монеты, эти единые весы, равняющие пастуха и короля, дуралей и мудреца. Одним только плох крепкий сон. Говорят, что ночи смахивают на смерть. Нет, нет, нет.